Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot, save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Well, hail to the victors, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim DeWire. And uh, kind of the big story of the week, I don't need to hear any more nonsense about things on Facebook, videos, and good Lord, suicides from NFL players that committed murder whatever big biggest story of the week really uh was was the election developments uh the french elections very very interesting uh theresa may by the way prime minister of great britain um called for early elections that are going to occur in june she basically scheduled them after the french elections and the french elections will probably be the End of the line, as they say. Uh, Marine Le Pen uh, finished second. She could conceivably win the presidency, but I find that highly improbable. And what we really have are, are seen in, in, in uh, France is a uh, somewhat analogous to the United States. We're having an argument about history. We're having an argument about the past and the future at the same time while we're debating the present. Of course, we had the science. Uh, You've also got almost a red state, blue state scenario in France, too, where the further you are from Paris, center of learning, sure. commerce, the general driving force of the French economy. Of course, that relies heavily on French agriculture. And there's your red state. Yeah. And of course, French agriculture is is a big part of France's story because France's uh, villages it's uh, small town life is still a fairly viable aspect of French culture. Uh, you know, we're talking here about four different political parties, kind of a moderate uh, left of center party, a reactionary party in Marine Le Pen, an establishment uh, conservative party that uh, Fillon, of course, uh, fell on his face with the financial scandals. We had a radical left-wing party that uh, kind of was the the dark horse on the right that came charging down the straightaway of the horse race at the last uh, moment and almost finished third. And the socialist uh, party only got 6% of the vote. Um, the real story here is that no matter who becomes the president of France, they're not going to have any sort of political base within the National Assembly right. with which to deal with. And, of course, the French presidency is kind of unique. Uh, this was, uh, you know, they, they call this the French Fifth Republic. 
it's very important to realize that France has gone through very, very profound vacillations in the last 225 years. Uh, they were a key ally of the American Revolutionary uh, Movement. Uh, I think that most historians, most reputable historians, would even observe that the American Revolution probably would not have succeeded without French financial backing. And, of course, the reason for that was they were a rival of Great Britain. The French have given us the French Revolution, Napoleon, <laughs> the Statue of Liberty, Vichy, <laughs> the government. And, of course, all sorts of inedible food like Vichy Swan, Faux Gras, Brie. What is Brie, anyway? It's goo. <laughs> well, Brie is actually pretty delicious. I'll, yeah. I'll stick so, up for Brie. French cheeses are some of the finest in the world. Baguettes, but, uh, you know, they, there is something about French culture that's very interesting. And it's bizarre that Marine Le Pen and her kind of effort to re-glorify the past of France is mingling the problems of modern-day France with why they have an immigration problem, if you want to call it that. Mm. One of the things that I find continuing uh, to be so bizarre about this 21st century debate about uh, immigration in Great Britain, America, and France, just to cite those three countries is that the legacy and the problems of immigration are connected to imperialism. They're connected Precisely. to colonialism. If you look, for instance, at most of the immigrants that came into the United States following the 1965 immigration law here in the United States and the 1986 immigration law that Reagan passed, the amnesty bill, we haven't had a major immigration bill passed since then. That's part of the problem. Um... These are problems of imperialism and colonialism. Uh, let's remember that de Gaulle, um, and I ironically was reading a biography of de Gaulle just a month ago, uh, sort of in connection with some of my World War II uh, research. Just wanted to read this from a biography of de Gaulle from an author called Adrian Crawley. On the uh, 8th of April, 1962, the French people endorsed the peace agreement overwhelmingly regarding Algeria. And in June, the Algerians followed suit. This, by the way, was part of a referendum concept that de Gaulle had brought into the so-called Fifth Republic in the late 40s uh, and 50s. Um, Algeria became an independent state on the 3rd of July, 1962, ending 132 years of French rule. The Eight-Year War saw 15,000 French soldiers die, 150,000 Algerians, and 42,000 acts of terrorism. They were officially listed, and there were tens of thousands of people injured. And, of course, you and I have both promoted the Battle of Algiers movie, the black and white. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, uh... The director's name uh, slips my mind, but the famous Morricone soundtrack, of course, is there, too. It's a textbook example of an underground resistance movement. In yeah. fact, it's so compelling and accurate in its depiction of this phenomena that uh, militant groups and the Pentagon itself has used that film as a sort of a training film sure. for study. Um, 
And it's important to note, too, that regarding Algerian history, the French refusal to negotiate in good faith with the resistance movement is what led to the single-party Islamist rule of the faction that eventually took over in the wake of the successful rebellion. Sure. And, of course, France uh, re-inherited its uh, colonies in Indochina and their inability to uh, hold Indochina, so to speak, since they were, uh, shall we say, compromised uh, governmental situation following post-war France because of the Vichy situation. Let's remember that France surrendered in six weeks when the German Blitzkrieg started. Uh, about three-quarters of France was occupied by the Germans, and the Vichy French collaborated with the Nazis. To a startling degree, in fact, yeah. uh, the Nazis themselves were astonished at the zeal with which uh, Vichy France uh, participated in the roundup of Jews and other, quote-unquote, undesirables. And, of course, France has a long uh, history of anti-Semitism. The famous Dreyfus case in the late uh, 19th century is a very Im important uh, event in French history. Uh, French culture in the late 19th century, Pasteur, the science. You know, we had the science protests over the weekend. Uh, the scientific developments in France, very important. And then the cultural uh, contributions that Paris made to uh, human civilization. I would argue that they supplanted London probably for a period of 30, 30 to 40 years in the late 19th century, early 20th century, in terms of maybe being even more important than uh, London as a cultural um, domination of how the world was beginning to think about itself. Art. Yeah, certainly some of the great 20th century philosophers, the post-structuralists, are almost entirely French. And even going back to the front end of the you know significance and importance of French philosophical movements, uh, the en Enlightenment itself in France uh, gave many of the precepts that this country was founded on. And of course, you know, France uh, was uh, <clears throat> conquered at one point... Uh, by Julius Caesar. <laughs> I don't even remember the year, but uh, it might have been like something like 55 the BC. The Gallic Wars, yeah. Gaul. Uh, France has this very complicated ge geographical situation that's connected to its culture that has an important Im impact on how it votes. You know, the southeast part of France is... These people are more allied with the Italian culture than they are the British Northwestern France, perhaps closer to the British in its thinking. The Rhine River, of course, this area of Alsace and Lorraine was a territory that the Franco-Prussian um, entities fought over three wars uh, between 1871 and uh, 1940. Uh, and, of course, the southwestern part of France uh, connected to Spain with the Pyrenees as a sort of a natural border, is yet another complicated aspect of France. France has Alps. It's, you know, for a country that's not that big, it's got about 67 million people. Interesting, by the way, that they vote by hand in France. Written ballots. They're counted by hand. 
They don't use machines. And yet they manage to achieve this in fairly decent uh, time. They count the ballots by hand. With, you know, obviously appropriate witnesses. And if you were listening to the results yesterday, you knew that uh, essentially uh, Macron and, and uh, Marine Le Pen were probably going to win, narrowly. But uh, th this bunching up of the electorate is just a fascinating development. Because France could go either way here. But I would argue that if Macron does win... Uh, the Donald Trump populist wave is finito. The people that wanted to see Marine Le Pen win and want to see Marine Le Pen win right now are uh, Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, and perhaps Theresa May. <laughs> because if France stays in the European Union... The negotiations involving Brexit are going to be much tougher on the British. And while Theresa May has called these early elections, she broke a promise in doing so just last week, uh, this in and of itself is a fascinating development. Um, she's doing this in theory to solidify a mandate, quote-unquote, to go forward with Brexit. And yet it may result in the peeling off of Scotland and Ireland, and Northern Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. In other words, it may actually, ironically, unify Ireland as a as a single island nation state. Um, you know, the British results from Brexit were fifty two forty eight. They were very close, and yet this is a major dip into the ocean that the British are making here. Uh, their currency went down twenty percent. It has yet to have a huge impact on their economy pro or con because the British haven't even, you know, they took eight months just to file the paperwork. Nine months was just filed a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Theresa May using a, uh, borrowing a page from Mar Margaret Thatcher, you'll recall that Margaret Thatcher was very unpopular in the early 1980s. And then the Falkland Wars happened with Argentina in 1982. And, uh, Rally round the flag, boys! Yes. Rally round the flag! The Falkland Islands, of course, were are these islands near Argentina that have more sheep than people. Are nowhere near Great Britain. Uh, but were seized, factually speaking, by the Argentinian military junta. The Reagan administration, for the record, actually stuck up for the Argentinian military junta for a little while initially yeah uh which outraged the british in fact there were more and more uh biographies and documents coming out from margaret thatcher's uh special relationship with ronnie reagan that show that uh, they really weren't quite as close as the media would make you i'm believe. sure she thought he was a moron well she had a lot of problems with some of the foreign policy uh Adventures of Ronald Reagan. In fact, she was very upset about the invasion of Grenada since uh, the Brits were informed, quote, after the fact. Another military exercise largely uh, premised in the distraction category. Yes. Happened two days after the truck bombing in Beirut. So, yes, these uh, these French elections are really a, a very important uh, 
indicator of what's going to happen here. I don't think the Germans are going to um, dismantle the European Union. In fact, they're the they're the sort of key. They're the glue that keeps it together. Yeah, at this point, for sure. And of course, the nativist uh, sort of right wing. Uh, Heavily anti-immigrant uh, governments turn out to be Hungary and Poland. So France could go in any which way but loose here. <laughs> um, I don't know even if Marine Le Pen would win the presidency, how she would initiate her policies. She only has two votes yeah, in that, Parliament. that party has zero uh, traction in... Uh... <laughs> I mean, statistically, virtually zero traction in Parliament. So Nigel Farage, Donald Trump, and Vladimir Putin are sitting around the cauldron of the three wicked witches of Shakespeare, boil, toil, and trouble, <laughs> trying to cast spells on the French people, I'm sure. Uh, the reason, of course, Putin wants to see the EU break up is for his own uh geopolitical strategic interests related to Eastern Europe. Um, let's remember that much of this migration problem into Europe over the last uh, two years has been a result of the Russian bombing in Syria. Uh, Ronald Reagan has tried to pin this on Angela Merkel, but that really is part of Donald Reagan, I mean Donald Reagan, <laughs> Donald Trump's uh, Delusional concept of the world. Gee, I don't know if he knows where North Korea is. <laughs> I think he's got the, uh, the dictator of North Korea confused with the Tasmanian devil <laughs> from the Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> well, I'm sure that uh, Kid Rock and the Nuge were able to straighten him out when they discussed uh, all... A wide range of uh, geopolitical options, uh, as it uh, turns out. With Miss Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin, who, uh, just real briefly on that, was the uh, original invitee. Uh, she sort of brought along Kid Rock and Ted Nugent without, I think, clearing it. So that dinner party may have been unexpected, but uh, quite the brain trust there. Indeed. And, of course, the brain trust is a perfect segue into the first 100 days. <laughs> what a ridiculous uh, artifice that's going on here with this uh, concept. You know, it was American historians that came up with the phrase, the 100 days. The 100 days were not anything that Franklin Roosevelt thought of in advance. What he did do uh, in response to the Great Depression Unlike Donald Trump, who held numerous victory rallies, saw the Azalea Trail girls down there in pom-pom land in Alabama, and this sort of bizarre uh, parade of people that were brought into Trump Tower for vetting. I don't know if it was extreme or humiliation purposes. Yeah. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. <laughs> Al Gore. Looking around. Al Gore happened to... Meet, meet Trump by accident, apparently. He'd gone to meet Mo Ivanka. She said, oh, well, why don't you come up and meet Dad? Hey, Daddy. He should have declined that one. Hey, Big Daddy. Can I bring up Al Gore <laughs> to talk to you? 
before I go to Germany on a, my latest marketing uh, junket. I've got uh, shoes and jewelry to sell. Uh, yeah, the 100 days is just merely a description of what Roosevelt was able to accomplish uh, in the early um, three months of the of the New Deal. Well, and, uh, you know, since then, it's obviously become, it, it is a media construct. It's not some yeah. constitutional thing. But it is a yardstick by which, you know, uh, you're halfway through a, a, a certain period. How's it going? And, of course, the ambition that Roosevelt had was was to deal with the tremendous problems of the Great Depression. Roosevelt thought seriously about these problems. That's where the brain trust came in. This was legislation that was passed through Congress uh, using uh, experts on certain policy issues, as well as congressmen. This was the hard work of government. This is what Donald Trump isn't doing. Donald Trump thinks that governing is uh, having lots of meetings and tweetings and seatings. He seems to have a kind of a parade, a kind of a carnival of people that keep visiting the Donald. <laughs> What's going on here, dude? <laughs> when are you going to get down to work? And then, of course, he makes statements that are just non sequiturs that have no connection to reality uh, taking his own staff uh, by surprise when he announced uh over the weekend that oh i'll have a tax plan and by, by wednesday you're going to hear about it yeah well that's oh, a, really this is the first we've heard of it it's just the treasury complicated thing uh some good news over the weekend by the way it says for the first time since the 1800 britain goes a day without burning coal for electricity that's just part of the war on coal. It's the war on coal. Uh, luckily, that's one of Donald Trump's accomplishments of the first 100 days. An executive order ending the clean power uh, executive order of Barack Obama, who made a uh, an appearance today. And, of course, you know, the real story with Donald Trump and... Uh, this troubling appearance in, in Asia by Mike Pence. The world has witnessed the strength and resolve of our new president in action. Well, at least they've witnessed Mike Pence looking sharp in a leather coat and apparently symbolically knocking on a door in the DMZ. Nobody's home, I'm afraid. <laughs> Nobody's home, but he's got nothing to offer. He's not even selling Girl Scout cookies. So we have this... Uh, this joke going on between North Korea and uh, the United States. They're flexing missiles. Hollow tubes. Here's Mike Pence's statement. The world has witnessed the strength and resolve of our new president in action. Actions taken in Syria and Afghanistan. North Korea would do well not to test his resolve. So, again, the analogy I made last week between uh, bombing Afghanistan and beating up a third grader. Uh, okay, maybe North Korea is more like beating up a fifth grader. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, these are easy targets for saber rattling and uh, theatrical rhetoric. Uh, but at the end of the day, there are some serious issues uh, here at home that North Korea is not a direct or immediate threat to the United States in any way, shape, or form, realistically speaking. But yet the government might shut down on Friday again. 
Well, and the thing is, is that North Korea is a threat, of course, to South Korea. But as I've sure. pointed out uh, in discussions with many people over the years, uh, North Korea has a long border with China. It's a peninsula. It is abutted by China, a very, very slender, I don't even remember how long this border with Russia really is, but it's right near Vladivostok. It's eight miles or something. It's very tiny. And it borders South Korea. Its posture is essentially defensive one. They're surrounded. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're not a land army. What they have, what they've done is they've built missiles into the mountains. Korea, uh, as the American government discovered in the U.N. action in 1950, is a very difficult place to fight in the winter. It's cold. Very cold. It's got big mountains. And North Korea has basically embedded heavy artillery, conventional weaponry, into the, uh, into the mountains of Korea. And that is their retaliatory deterrence. Uh, they will strike Seoul, which is the capital of South Korea, who our, they are our ally. And South Korea, because of their own political tumult, uh, over the past six months, their president was recently impeached and removed from office. Why Donald Trump and Mike Pence are trying to whip up this frenzy about North Korea is strange. <laughs> um, Kim Jong-un is a, probably a cannibal. <laughs> He's a little nutty. He's weird. He fires missiles that go 28 miles into the Sea of Japan. <laughs> he does not possess intercontinental ballistic missiles that can hit the United States. So uh, let's, uh, let's get back to Teddy Roosevelt. He's a good old-fashioned imperialist. He likes to speak softly and carry a big stick. Donald Trump likes to speak loudly and... Uh, all he's got is a shtick. That's a Yiddish joke. It's nothing but shtick with uh, Donald Trump. I don't know whether it's big or little, but it's, uh, it's certainly a bad act. And let the Koreans solve the Korean problem. You know, back in, uh, in the Clinton era... We, that, which, that was the approach. That was the approach. There was, a, there was a leader of uh, South Korea, Kim Dae-jung, who was very uh, willing to sit down and talk uh, Turkey with the North Koreans. And there were exchanges. There were family visits. There was progress that was made. And George Bush, W. Bush, reversed it all when he tossed in North Korea into the axis of evil. <laughs> Why they felt the need to do that is still baffling to me because it was like they were thinking so literally about, well, it's got to have a three-part thing because yeah. of the axis back in World sure. War II. So Iran, okay, that's good. But what was the third? Th yes, North Korea. Yes. Yeah, Iran, Iraq, completely, North Korea. They're not even... Completely unconnected. They're not even connected. Saddam Hussein was a historical enemy of Iran. I mean, Iran has benefited from our invasion of Iraq, which is still, of course, as Trump likes to describe, the world's a mess. It's a mess. Well, it is a mess. 
in, in, in many areas because the United States doesn't get it. It it has this idea that every country in the world is part of our national security interest. We have to do something. Why don't you take a chill pill, dude? <laughs> Why don't you sit down and listen to some music? Do you have any Almond Brothers? <laughs> it's, it's, it's frightening. And, of course, one of the worst developments about the first 100 days is on the 12th of April. We have a report from Helene Cooper and Dion Searcy in the New York Times that the United States is planning on selling attack planes to Nigeria called the Super Takano Attack Planes. It's incredible. Says the Obama administration stopped one proposed sale on January 17th, just as it was about to be sent to Congress for approval after a Nigerian fighter jet searching for Boko Haram members accidentally bombed a camp of displaced people, killing dozens and wounding more. How on earth is giving an unstable government in Nigeria attack weapons from the United States military arsenal? In anybody's national security interest here in America. Not just unstable, probably one of the most corrupt governments on the face of the globe. Their president, by the way, is in London getting health care. <laughs> He's not even there. Uh, you know, this is, this is the sort of... I don't know what to call it. It's utter cluelessness of Donald Trump. Uh, he's worried about 100 days and accomplishments. Well, these are accomplishments in the wrong direction. Uncomplishments is what they've got. So, Because there's been setbacks and stepbacks, both in the areas that they thought they were going, oh, hey, we're going to get rid of Obamacare and put in our own. Oh, well, maybe not. And then they've uh, dismantled and... and taking away things like transparency and even Internet sites that post information about climate shift. Yeah. So serious and literal steps backward. So the 100 days, yeah, it's been the idiocy of his apprenticy. It's been the apprenticy of his idiocy. That's what the 100 days have shown. Donald Trump is not ready for prime time, but Bill O'Reilly might be. Well, I'm surprised that he hasn't replaced Sean Spicer yet. Yeah, that could uh, be in the offing. Um, how weird and bizarre was it, too? I don't know why the Times made this decision, but Thursday's paper, the day on which the headline Fox News ousts O'Reilly, uh, is the, the top story. There's a picture of him meeting the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Which is bizarre because it, I, you know... I'm, Confused about what the Times' intention with this context is because it gives him the opportunity to appear, oh, well, I'm contrite. Right. Here I am greeting the uh, head of, his name's O'Reilly, so I'll assume he's a serious Catholic, although. He is. I, obviously, he doesn't take Christ's teachings very seriously. And, of course, he's obsessed he's with Christian. Christmas. You know, he's had this. Oh, his war on Christmas nonsense. God. Yeah, but I'm sure he even strongly dislikes this pope yeah who is progressive and tolerant and you know compassionate towards gays and all all this good stuff um obviously this trip was probably pre-planned this little vacation or maybe it was just some quick hey i'll show up and somebody will take a picture of me with the pope well and, and 
it's probably the blow. <laughs> probably a famous uh, thing since we're entering the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It's probably a Bill O'Reilly purchasing an absolution. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> purchasing a pardon directly from the Pope. Yeah, <laughs> caught in the act. Well, uh, we are uh, pretty much out of time down here on uh, on Gray Matters. You have been listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor.